Welcome to Destination Murder, the true crime podcast. Each week, the hosts, that's us, BFS Megan and Tegan, cover stories from a new part of the world. Get ready to combat your travel bug and feed your true crime obsession. Howdy. Hi, Tegan. <laughs> Howdy. <laughs> Howdy. <laughs> Howdy. How's it going? Good. Uh, we are recording. Usually we record, we record in the mornings, but now we're recording in the afternoon slash evening. And I had a great day. Ooh, I'm so glad you did. Tell me all about it. Um, Basically, I had a sleep in that was much needed. And then I, you know, wrapped up my case. Those put the final final touches on that. And then I repotted all the plants in my room. Nice. And got to play outside with uh, my dog Bentley for a while. And then I made myself this really delicious, like, um, what was it? It was like grapefruit mint iced green tea. Ooh. And it was great. Um, what did I do today? I got up late as well, except I couldn't sleep because my bedroom is west-facing, so I got that nice morning sun, but it was pretty hot in my room, so I kind of just laid in bed. And then I went grocery shopping, came home, watched some TV with Kyla, worked on my case a little bit, I had a 20-minute nap, which turned into two hours (laughs) by mistake, um... And then I just had dinner. Kyla and I, um, my roommate, um, we have our own vegetable garden and we just got to try some of our homegrown lettuce tonight. So that was a treat. Fantastic. That Mm -hmm. sounds so yummy. It was so good. Best Caesar salad I've ever had. Hands down. I'm also having Caesar salad for dinner today. Oh my god, twins. I know. Except Caesar salad and salmon, not chicken Caesar salad. Mm. Salmon Caesar salad. I feel like that would be good if you liked fish. Yes, I'm all about the fish. (laughs) I really like seafood. (laughs) Um, Shall we jump into our cases? I think so. Maybe? Yep. Well, uh, this is Destination Murder. Each week we cover a true crime case from around the world. And at the end of the episode, we draw a new spot to go for the following episode. So... This week is our last episode of our Missing and Murdered Indigenous Women coverage for the month of May. Not ever, just for the month of May, because this was a kind of a special topic month. Uh, and we're in the Southern Hemisphere today. Oh, I forgot to mention you. we have social media. You can follow us on that at Destination Murder Pod on Instagram or Destination Murder on Facebook. And Twitter's at Dest underscore Murder. But yeah, um, I guess I should also mention <laughs> this has turned into a housekeeping corner instead of just a jump into the cases corner. But uh, we are taking next week off because it's a long weekend, so there will not be an episode from us next week. But don't worry, the following week we are back to our regularly scheduled programming. Alrighty. Shall we go? I think you're first. I think so two. Okay. And I am taking us to Australia today. 
this is the third time we've been in Australia, so it's kind of exciting. It has, yes. My case um, is Murdered or Missing, Monique Club. Um, my sources this week was an ABC News article, a ABC News Australia article by Isabella Higgins and Sarah Collard, and an SBS article. Um, the ABC News article was absolutely amazing, so there's a lot of information on it. Um, so if you're looking for more about uh, missing and murdered Indigenous Australian women, um, it's a great place to check it out. I am going to talk a little bit first about kind of the overview of missing and murdered Aboriginal women in Australia. So we'll start off with that. Yes, please tell me. So a new case study on women's deaths in, by Australian academics has highlighted the mistreatment of Aboriginal and Tories straight islander women and for the first time linked the overrepresentation of Australian Indigenous women in missing person reports to the issue of missing and murdered First Nations women internationally. Dr. Hannah McGlad co-wrote Indigenous Femicide and the Killing State, which looks at Indigenous women's deaths outside of custody, including dis- domestic violence incidents, missing person, person cases, and hate crimes. We bring to life the lives and stories of the women and girls who have gone missing and what the circumstances and context of that. Um, Dr. McGlad says, Australia is a country that says we support human rights. We're a member of the Human Rights Council and it's really time for Australia to take this issue seriously and take the blinders off and start valuing the lives of the Aboriginal women and girls of this country. Labour MP Linda Burney called for a Senate inquiry into the missing Indigenous women following reports that Indigenous women are overrepresented in missing person cases across the country. Lead researcher Professor Suvindri Pereira from Curtin University said the level of Indigenous women's deaths explored in the case study, which includes deaths on roads, beaches, homes, and rivers shocked her. One of the reasons why they put that case study out is because they wanted to inform the debate and wanted to inform the conversations happening. This is the first international case uh, study that compares missing and murdered Indigenous Australian women to missing and murdered Indigenous women in Canada and the US. Last year, um, we spoke about this a little bit before, but last year, the Canadian government released their report from their national inquiry into missing and murdered Indigenous women and called their deaths a genocide. The report said that Indigenous women and girls are 12 times more likely to experience violence and seven times more likely to be killed other than uh, to be killed than other women in Canada. In Australia, Aboriginal women are 17 times more likely to die from homicide compared to their non-Indigenous women. So, that's not great. Both uh, Dr. McLeod and Professor Pereira uh, are calling the Australian Commonwealth Government to follow in America and Canada's leads and investigate into protecting Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander females. It's really important that Australia takes this issue more seriously. We're not addressing this violence, 
Dr. McLeod said, we'll never be at peace while Aboriginal women and girls and Aboriginal people are denigrated and denied their proper rights of citizenship. We must do better. We have to do better. So breaking it down, um, in Western Australia, Aboriginal people make up 17.5% of unsolved missing persons cases, despite making up just 3% of the state's population. The state does not provide a gender breakdown of the missing person statistic. Hmm. In Queensland, police estimate 6% of open unsolved missing persons cases are Indigenous people. In New South Wales, police provided data only to 2014. In that time, Indigenous people made up 7% of unsolved cases. Also, in New South Wales, 10% of females not found since 2014 are Indigenous women, but they make up less than 3% of the state's population. Uh, There's no national figure for many states because... There's no national figure because many states are not counting the cases or measuring the size of the problem at all. Um, These states include Victoria, Tasmania, South Australia, and the Northern Territory. Indigenous women who are reported missing are less likely to be found, and many are presumed dead. So are are the states, like, not tracking the rates of missing and murdered Indigenous women, like, at all? Uh, So the four. There's four. Victoria, Tasmania, South Australia, and the Northern Territory. Uh, New South Wales, Queensland, and Western Australia all have data on the missing and murdered Indigenous women. That's really bad. That they don't track it. Yeah. Not great. Yeah, because if if you don't know the... Like, if you don't know the up-to-date data, you can't identify how large of a problem it is. I mean, it's obviously a huge problem, but you don't have any facts and statistics to back you up when coming to, you know, the legal system or, or parliament or whatever to argue the case because... Unfortunately, that all depends on, like, your credibility really depends on statistics. So if they're not even measuring the statistics, then people fighting for these women and these Indigenous and Aboriginal people don't have the base of their argument that is, like, socially required. Yeah. Does that make sense? No, 100% makes sense. So let's jump into the case. So Monique, who is 24 had left her hometown in Hervey Bay in Queensland on Thursday for a weekend trip to Brisbane. For the first two days of the trip, she kept in touch, but on Saturday, she told her mom she'd be back the next day. Then contact stopped. Sheena anxiously waited for her daughter to come home or to call with an exclamation about a broken phone, but it never came. Sheena turned to the police, and by Friday, her daughter, Monique Club, was officially a missing person. It just got more urgent as every day went by. I started to think this can't be happening, Monique's brother, Mickey, said. Um, The painful days have continued, and now more than six long years have passed. The family's initial panic has transformed into a never-ending grief. You start to realize that maybe she's not coming home says Mickey. Police will often categorize a disappeared person like Monique as either lost, missing, or murdered. So lost will describe those who are temporarily disoriented. Missing is those who willingly left or were forced to leave, and then there's murdered, which we all know. (laughs) 
We it's murder. That is. <laughs> yes. Um, Monique's family does not know what category she's in. Um, Monique's life before her disappearance was a little bit complicated. Um, she attended the local Catholic school, was a good athlete, and loved spending time with her friends. As she was the second oldest of six children in a close-knit indigenous family, she often acted like a second mum when times were tough, according to her sister Minnie. And I would just like to take a moment here because her brother and sister's name are Mickey and Minnie. Aw, that's, that's kind of cute. Her name is Monique, so I think her mom had a thing for naming her kids starting with M. Yeah. <laughs> Which, and also, like, Disney. Yeah. Disney-themed. Um, when Monique graduated, she got a job at the local tavern and was generous with her newfound income, often providing her siblings with meals. But in the lead-up to her disappearance, her family had concerns about the crowd she was spending time with. A crowd that was often getting in trouble with the law, Monique began to accumulate a criminal record for theft and court violations that eventually led to a short stint in trial. In June 2013, she told her family about a trip to Brisbane with her new friends. They were worried about her going away with this new group, but they never imagined that this would be the last time they saw her. Now she's a statistic, one of the 6% of unsolved missing and murder cases Queensland police guests involve indigenous people. Across Australia, about 40,000 people are reported missing uh, each year, and 99% will be brought home, usually within hours. But like Monique, many aren't. Of those unsolved cases, some can get more prominence than others by media, the public, and the police. And Monique's family can't help but feel that her past run-ins with the law and her Aboriginal heritage stifled her chance at justice. They weren't really serious about finding her, not at all, I don't reckon, as she Anne said. It's been six years and we haven't gotten answers from them. It should be justice for anyone, no matter their skin color. Um, and it was fun. I mean, this is very sad, but I think... It was kind of funny to me reading that quote because I really think that I only know Australians who say reckon. I was literally thinking, I was going to be like, that's such an Australian phrase, I reckon. Yeah, like, I only really hear my mom say it. And so to see it in an article, it was just like, this is clearly an Australian word. Uh, Queensland spokesperson insisted that the case was thoroughly investigated across several police districts. In the days following her dis- disappearance, detectives retraced Monique's journey from Hervey Bay to Brisbane and covering CCTV vision of her exiting a train station in Benley. Or Bean- Beanley? Beanley. Since the day she exited the train station, her bank accounts and phone has have not been touched. Queensland police say that the case remains opened, asked for the CCTV footage, and the police wouldn't give it to them. I don't know if it's because it's still an ongoing investigation, but I feel like that kind of information is usually given out, especially because it helps people. Yeah, because if she's missing, they can release the footage of her last known, like, outfit through the CCTV, and it's better for people to recognize her. 
but apparently they didn't want to do that. I don't know why. Monique's family has reached their own grim conclusion that she was murdered. Queensland police say that the case has been referred to the coroner who could rule that Monique was legally dead. The hardest part is not being able to bury your daughter, not being able to bring her home and have closure and the truth come out, um, said her mother. Donna Lockery said that uh, no help for Aboriginal women who go there was no help for Aboriginal women who go missing and supported calls for national inquiry. She too had a theory about what happened to her mother and sister and next year the Western Australian coroner will investigate her case. While the families pray for closure, advocates like Dorinda say another family's heartbreak can be prevented. Through an inquiry, we can actually find a dedicated strategy and dedicate resources to make sure that we can tackle this problem. The oppression, the voiceless violence that is experienced by our women is a real travesty. If nothing changes, Aboriginal communities will be continue or will continue to be torn apart by grief. Our lives matter to our children, to our families, to our communities, to our society overall. We can fully prevent missing circumstances of those women and their children. We as Aboriginal women need to become visible and start talking about why our lives matter. And that is the case of Monique Club. That's so sad. I know. They just have no idea what happened. Absolutely none. And that's also a parent's worst nightmare is something happening to their child, like, on a trip. Yeah. Like on a vacation where they go away. Yeah, I know. And especially when they're like, oh, we don't really want you to go on this trip because we don't really like the people that you're hanging out with. But also, like, she's 24 years old. She's yeah. basically our age. Like, we've she's both traveled. Like, she's a full adult. Yeah. We've both traveled, you know, mm-hmm. at that age. And, like, I can't, couldn't imagine just, like, one day, like... Did the friends, like, come back and... I don't know. There's not anything reported on her friends. I don't even know. Like, honestly, I don't even know if they were uh, interrogated. That's so odd that there wasn't any information about that. Yeah. Because if she went away with friends, you'd think that they would write about the friends. Weird. Right? So, I don't know. I'm a little bit suspicious about the group of people she was hanging out with. Yeah. Um... I was going to say something about not. <laughs> I I think it's, I don't know if it's maybe like an older sibling, sibling thing or what, but I feel like Monique and I are kind of similar because whenever I go away, like even if it's just like to Calgary or to go camping, I like message my parents when I get up each morning. I'm like, hey, still alive. And then at mm-hmm. noon, I'll be like, still doing okay okay going to bed now good night talk to you in the morning uh my boyfriend's friend was traveling southeast asia every day he his mom was like you need to text me every day to know so i know you're okay so he literally just ended up texting her like a period every day when he woke up like Uh. she's like you don't need to talk to me you just need to send a message to let me know that you're okay (laughs) all right well um i'll take us to new zealand now perfect the Kiwi state. Yes. I'm doing the murders of Luana Rakawa and Linus Parakuka. I'm not sure if it's Linus or Linus, but 
couldn't find the pronunciation online, but I'll, I'll just say Linus. Um, sources for this week are a She is Right New Zealand article by Jessica Sutton, a New Zealand Herald article, uh, another New Zealand Herald article by Jared Savage, a Stuff.co article by Matt Shand, and the uh, Rotorua Daily Post article. This story does center around domestic abuse, so just a little trigger warning um, for that. So New Zealand, like Canada, like Australia, like the USA, has a history of intense colonial violence. Out of all the developed countries, New Zealand has the highest rates of violence against women, according to a study by UNIFEM, which clashes with New Zealand's progressive image, uh, with you know women in, as many of the leading roles in the country, especially within this whole pandemic. Within 2020, people have like looked to New Zealand as this like, oh my gosh, it must be so. It must be this perfect little utopia, but unfortunately, it has the highest rates of domestic violence in developed countries worldwide. Really? Mm-hmm. That's so surprising to me because I feel like women's rights are so great there. Yeah. Yeah, I know. I was really surprised when I read that as well. Interesting. So the rates of violence against women are so high that the police receive an intimate partner violence one 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 call every five minutes. Mm-hmm. Wow. Holy. Yeah. Over half of New Zealand women have experienced intimate partner violence in their lifetimes, some of them losing their lives. So I don't know what the rates are in Canada, but, you know, even even 1% is too high. It's like almost 50%, over 50% of New Zealand women. It's very high. And for Maori women, uh, Maori is the indigenous people of New Zealand. Um, This number skyrockets to 80%. So 80% of Maori women have experienced intimate partner violence in their life. Maori women are three times more likely to die from intimate partner violence than non-Indigenous women in New Zealand, and on average, 16 women are killed by their male partners in New Zealand each year. So sadly, many of the crimes against Maori women are underreported by the media or just completely not reported on at all um, compared to the you know, frequent coverage that white women get of crimes committed against them. So as a result, there's not very much information out about this case. So my case is a little bit short. So Linus Parakuka was raised in the New Zealand town of Rotorua. Rotorua is located on the shores of Lake Rotorua on New Zealand's North Island and has a population of about 80,000 people. The town is a tourist hotspot because of its geothermal activity like geysers and bubbling mud pools. And beautiful scenery because the town lies on the Rotorua caldera, so basically it's on a volcano. The town is also home to Maori cultural centers like the Maori Living Village, as Maori have lived in the area since the 1300s, and as such, 40% of the Rotorua population is Maori. In November 2009, Linus was celebrating her 14th birthday. Her mother, Luana, threw a birthday party for her and it was fun, but uh, Luana, the mother, had had a couple drinks, so she headed up to bed early. As the party went on, a man came up to visit Luana. I'm not sure who he was, but uh, they knew each other, so they hugged each other on the bed. Uh, nothing but an embrace happened between them, but Luana's boyfriend, Gavin Harua, was watching them from the hallway. He became jealous and enraged, ac- accusing Luana of cheating on him. He dragged her from the bed into the hallway and punched her multiple times in the face. And this is on, like, her daughter's 14th birthday party. Like, it just blows my mind that, like, people can get, like, so 
aggravated over something like that. Like, you clearly have problems that you need to get checked. Like, mm-hmm. because, like, someone giving someone a hug should not send you into that state of rage or jealousy. Like, how possessive no. and controlling are you? No, it's very, very, very bad. Oh my god. And that's, like... Her poor daughter, too. Like, she's just trying to have, like, a four- mm-hmm. you know? Like, I feel like 14 is such, like, a like important age. I know. So, because Luana had had drinks and gone up to bed early, the alcohol in her system weakened her reflexes, so she was unable to fight back when her boyfriend assaulted her. She died from her injuries, but not from punches to the face. The medical examiner determined the cause of death to be from a brain bleed caused by sev- severed nerves due to a whiplashing action she received. Oh my god. Like, how hard must have he been hitting her for her to get whiplash? Two years after Luana's murder at Linus's 14th birthday party, Gavin Harua was sentenced to only six years and three months in prison for manslaughter. In court, he said that he hadn't meant to seriously hurt Luana that night, but that she had recovered from worse injuries he inflicted upon her in the past, which is so just absolutely horrible. So in September 2018, nearly 10 years after her mother's murder, Linus was now in her 20s. She was dating a man named Jason Poahippi, a 19-year-old Maori man whom she had an on-again, off-again relationship with. Linus was now a mother herself to a toddler and had recently discovered that she was pregnant with her second child. On the night of September 7th, 2018, Linus and her boyfriend Jason were drinking at Jason's cousin's house. Uh, I doubt Linus was drinking because she was pregnant, but there was like a party going on and, and, and stuff. So after a while, Linus left or went for a walk by herself or something and Jason realized she was missing. He set out to look for her, armed with a knife to steal a car to widen his search. While searching, he saw Linus alongside the road, staggering towards him, all beat up and bloody, saying that she'd been attacked by a group of women, uh, a group of women who belonged to a local gang called Black Power. Jason said that he grabbed Linus and they ran onto a nearby school grounds because she didn't want to be seen, but she said she couldn't run and had to stop. He said that they stopped and she sat down and began making a snoring noise. He then ran back to his cousin's house for help. He told his cousin that Linus had been jumped and beaten by this group of women in the local black power gang by the time that him and his cousin arrived back at the catholic uh back at the school grounds to help linus it was too late for them linus had passed away that story i'm sorry but that seems a little bit suspicious to me yeah so over that night jason changed his story multiple times first it was the women who beat her up then he began to admit that he'd been prepared to jump and stab a man he thought linus was cheating on him with instead of going out to look for her. And then the truth of what had really happened came out. Jason had been thrown into a jealous rage because he thought that Linus was cheating on him. When he went to find Linus after she had left his cousin's house, he dragged her onto the school grounds where he beat her to death. Jason had claimed to see Linus cheat on him with another man through a bedroom window in the neighborhood. This, however, was untrue, and Linus had not been the one he'd seen. He'd just seen another woman who looked like her. But regardless, Jason, who was drunk at the time, followed her and became extremely violent. He pulled Linus onto the school grounds of of a nearby Catholic school, where he began to punch and kick her. 
After punching and kicking Linus in the face, he sat next to her as she lay there dying. He sat there for at least 20 minutes before getting up and going to his cousin's house for help and calling the paramedics. In court, Jason pled guilty to manslaughter, not murder. He said that he had never intended to kill Linus and that he hadn't realized his assault would end in her death. His lawyer defended him, saying that he lost his cool and was out of control with rage, but that he hadn't intended to kill Linus, so the charge should just be manslaughter, not murder. But thankfully, the jury disagreed, and Jason was convicted of Linus's murder. In 2019, he was sentenced to life imprisonment for the crime without parole for 10 years. I'm so so happy that the jury has some sense. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I think the judge and the jury both disagreed with the lawyer. Uh, I, I believe the judge also said when he sentenced him that he he was too high of a risk to reoffend to have any lesser sentence. So wrapping up here and very sadly, everyone everyone in the story was a victim of domestic violence. While Gavin Harua and Jason Poehipi were perpetrators of violence, they had also grown up in homes surrounded by domestic violence. Both of their fathers had been extremely physically violent towards their mothers. And as you know, Linus had suffered the loss of her mother on her 14th birthday before losing her own life to domestic violence herself. So a really horrible cycle of abuse. And that is the murder of Luana Rakawa and Linus Parakuka. Wow, that's just so sad. I know this was in Australia, I think. But that TikTok that you sent me today about the girl covering her drink and all the guys getting angry that the girl was covering her drink when she's talking to yeah. a complete stranger. It's just like, we keep... There's a reason why. Yeah. And it's like, not all men, but how are we supposed to know it's not all men when you don't know the person? And like even like if you are in a relationship with someone, like clearly domestic assault happens like you you victim blame women for when they get assaulted and then you victim blame them when they're held they're trying to look after themselves yeah so it's just it it breaks my heart to think that like acts of violence against women and domestic abuse just run so rampantly and they're not considered a heinous act especially when it's like towards someone that you love like you're supposed to love that person. Mm-hmm. Like, you shouldn't be treating them like that. It's almost as if in, like, media, I'm not sure how this actually is in real life, but in media, it seems like we treat murders committed by strangers as more of a big deal, when in reality, it's the opposite. Mur- like, assault and murder committed by someone you know, often someone you love and trust happens way more often and is way bigger of a deal i think i mean both are a big deal yeah. but it's like there's a lot of like obsession with serial killers and stranger murders but this is a massive problem yeah. that is often being overlooked i think maybe the strangers one is so strong in or like overpowers like the media and stuff is because like it's kind of almost like un- under not understandable you know like it's like so it's so wild that it's like unbelievable which is i mean it is sad but like also at the same time like and i hate when they call it like acts of passion or like they were murdered because of like passion like no 
you're just a dick because you can't control someone. Like, there's no passion. You're not... Passion does not result in killing someone you love. Like, stupid. Yep. (laughs) So, I don't even know what to say. (laughs) I think what you're trying to say is when we speak about missing and murdered indigenous women, we need to take into account that North America is not the only place to have indigenous or aboriginal women. And it's not something that is just present in one area or one society. It's Mm -hmm. an act that's being done around the world. Yeah, I'm sure this is a global issue, not solely concentrated to, you know, US, Canada, Australia, New Zealand. Like, I'm sure South America, Mexico also has a huge problem regarding femicide against Indigenous women. I think this has definitely opened my eyes to a lot. So... Megan, great idea for doing this. <laughs> um, Thanks. I hope, yeah, I hope if you've, if you've listened to all three of these, I hope you've learned a little bit more. And like I said, I demand you to go to our show notes and further research and listen to Indigenous women's voices on this issue more than us. I double doggy dare you to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I demand, I demand <laughs> I double doggy dare you. On to half Jinx 200, things. you owe me a show notes click to research. <laughs> <laughs> Happier things. Yes, I think the biggest thing, the number one thing on our minds right now is that we both have our vaccinations booked. When you hear us again, I know I will be vaccinated because I get vaccinated in less than a week because I'm in a hot spot, so I was... Um, invited to book my vaccination appointment earlier than Tegan, and Tegan got hers today. So when's your vaccine Mine's on the 26th, so 11 okay, days. Okay, so the next time you hear our voices, we will both be vaccinated. We'll have a third arm growing out of our body. <laughs> <laughs> we'll be microchipped up. Yeah, so ready for the government to track everything about me. Um... No, I'm so excited. I was really upset because I was not in a hot spot, which <laughs> it's like stupid. Dang it, I'm not in a hot spot. Well, I guess not, dang it. Yeah. Like, I don't know why my neighborhood is considered a hot spot. Because um, you're in it. <laughs> oh, thank you. That was a good one. Thank you. I'm so hilarious, but not hilarious because you are hot. Especially now in my gross, like, sweaty clothing that I was wearing while doing like yard work today so I would like to come on here and publicly verbally assault your... my father for <laughs> for I'm just gonna be like is this your youtube apology and then you're like verbally assault my father <laughs> did you see the dms he sent us no okay I'm gonna pull something them about how harry styles outfit was ugly though yeah so um if you follow us on Instagram, you'll see that I posted a little something about Harry winning the Brits uh, award. And he responded to it saying, just awful. Horrible doesn't describe the disaster of that suit with a whole bunch of throw up emojis. Oh my goodness. I really liked his suit. Yeah. It was like geometric pattern. It was funky. It was cool. It was very like retro 70. 
So I responded, we do not tolerate hate speech here. (laughs) (laughs) And he responded, like any millennial, walks like a duck, talks like a duck, must be a duck. Because I said that we were Gen Z. Oh, we're cuspers, Tegan. I consider myself like 60% Gen Z, 40% millennial. I identify more with the Gen Zs. Speaking of, did you see the tic- uh, SNL skit on Gen Z? I saw everyone talking about it, and I was like, I mean, that's kind of what everyone sounds like, to be honest. I thought it was like so, super overplayed. It was like, oh yeah, but that's what SNL does. I know, they, like, but it was just like everything. I was just like, I heard Bestie like one too many times. Yeah, it's like they told you know, they're one of their writers to just sit on TikTok for an entire day and that's what they researched. Yeah. And came back with. Was Pete Davidson in it? Because he's the only, like... I don't uh, think... Yeah, n- one under 30, isn't he? I don't think he was in it. Okay. Yeah, it was everybody else. <laughs> he's probably like, uh uh-huh, I am staying Wait. away from this skit. <laughs> you cannot pay me to be in it. <laughs> he's like, my hands are... I'm gonna wash my hands with this skit. No, thank you. <laughs> Bestie, you're so sus. I hate that sus thing. I really think, like... Because it's been used... I don't understand why it's so popular. I The one I hate, sheesh! Oh my god, I love sheesh. They literally no. just walk around the house. Whenever anything happens, we're like, sheesh! I hate it. I can't stand it. Um, Oh, sus? I think sus came from everyone playing Among Us. Because you had to type... And so you couldn't say suspicious because that was just too much because you were trying to, like, like, you only had a minute to, like, try and figure out who it was. So it was just sus because, like, if you weren't on Discord, then it was just too hard. I just love TikTok so much. (laughs) I sent a video to my parents today of Milo sleeping and my dad responded back saying, that's because he was up all night on TikTok. And I was like, that's me, not Milo, silly. I have had such bad, like, back and hip pain the last, like, five days. I don't know why. But I've been trying to do stretches. I don't know. Have you been sitting a lot recently? I mean, I work from home, so I'm in front of my computer sitting for, like, eight hours a day. But, like, more than usual? Um, I was sitting, so I've been taking, I think this is the thing that could be it. I have been sitting out in the front yard on a blanket on the ground, so that's probably it, like, because I can sit on, I can, like, sit for a while if I'm on something soft, but if I'm on something hard, then my back really starts to hurt. So it was probably that, because I like to sit in the front yard because our backyard doesn't get sun in the evening, but our front yard does, and uh, I would have never done this before coronavirus, but now I just... Do not care if someone walking by me go like can see me lounging in my front yard. I don't know why, but um, I just feel like you'd start barking at someone <laughs> if they gave you a bad time. Like, <laughs> yeah. Most people like don't look. They're like avoid. They, they walk to the other side of the there. street and they run run past you. They're like, yeah. oh no, making soap. Yeah. Well, I sit there with Bentley because Bentley really likes the front yard. There's your excuse. We, like, tie her up. Yeah. 
And then she will just like sit there and chew on her stick. You can probably hear her in the back right now barking. She doesn't, she doesn't really bark in the front yard. I made a new friend this week. Ooh. She's in. Is it real or imaginary? <laughs> well, she was an online friend and then we had coffee. Um, we went on a socially distanced walk and uh, it was really nice. Where do you know her from? Uh, she is in my support group with me. So Ooh, just nice. nice to have someone to talk to about those kind of things. But yeah, she's super sweet. I love her um, instant friends. So that was kind of cool. I'm going to get a little bit territorial. Good. I'm going to have to. <laughs> <laughs> I always feel like I get overly territorial with our friendships. So it's nice to hear that you're finally going to yes. do the same. Like when Megan went off to university and she was like, look at my friends. I'm like. You're like, I need to be your only friend. <laughs> I was like, that's great that you're your friends, but they should only be your acquaintances. I am so happy for you. I'm happy that you're having a good time over there, but I should be the only thing you're focused about. <laughs> I've been taking a lot of baths recently. Yes, I noticed that. Not like I watch you. You always send me a Snapchat like of your bath water. Yeah. Uh, before you go in. Um, well, or like it's it's mainly like Milo. Yeah, Milo trying to get into the bath. Our cat loves baths, and so he literally just sits on the edge of the bath the entire time I'm having a bath, and like walks around every corner of the bath that he can and drinks the bath water. Um, I don't know why, uh, but yeah. He's now currently curled up beside me, sleeping like a little angel. He tried to yeet himself today, Aww. so we had a little Wait. fight. How? Um, so my bedside table sits right beside my window, which opens up. Oh, no. And he looked at me, jump, and I had my window open, looked at me, walked onto my bedside table, and I thought he was just going to sit there, looked back at me, put his hand <gasps> on like the the frame like the the windowsill so i said yeah. milo no and so then he continued to try and get put all four paws on the window ledge so i picked him up and i gave him a smack on the butt and i said don't do that again because apparently he likes to lie on it it's like the uh -oh. third time i've caught him so uh -oh. you're gonna have to make sure your window's closed when you're not in the room yeah no I just pointed at him and he went like this with his toes. Like he like opened his toes. Yeah. Stretched them stretched out. Stretched them. That's funny. Very funny. I gave uh, Bentley a bath yesterday cuz we took her to the doggy <laughs> the dog park. Yeah. Uh the doggy beach actually. Uh -huh. Like like at Kitsilano, mm -hmm. Kits Beach, and she had the time of her life, but it was she was like running around, but all of the other dogs that were there Oh, there she is again, barking at something in the backyard. And there is my dad yelling at her to stop. I can't hear your dad, but I can hear Bentley. Okay, I can hear my dad. Uh, but it was so funny and, and kind of sad because all of the dogs were like playing fetch. Like their owners were throwing sticks or, or balls into the into the ocean and they would like swim and go get it. And she just really wanted someone to play with her. And they would, like, kind of play with her for a little bit, but then they were just way more interested in playing fetch. And she really wants, like, she really likes it when people, when dogs chase her. So she was trying to get them to chase her, but she would, like, 
you know, say hello. And they would kind of start to play again. And then she'd, like, book it away. But the dog would just not follow her. They'd, like, loop back to their owner to, like, play fetch. And then she got so sad. She was like, I just want to be friends. Yeah. And then she found this, like, poodle who also wanted to play. But the poodle was bigger than Bentley. And Bentley got a little bit overwhelmed. So she, like, came over to us. And then all of a sudden, like, six other dogs came over. And so we were in, like, the mosh pit of the dog park. And all of our stuff is there. Like, all our blankets on the sand. And all of these dogs are, like, jumping around in the mosh pit. Oh trying to goodness. play with each other. And Bentley's, like, following us because she's trying to get away. So all of the other dogs are following. Because they all wanted to play with Bentley and, you know, get some action. I was like, this, this is what you asked for, Bentley. Silly girl. Yeah, but we left after that. Okay, Tegan, you are going to Sri Lanka. Ooh. And I am going to Saskatchewan. Perfect. Saskatchewan, Canada, province in Canada. So back to Canada. Perfect. Well, my home sweet home. Alrighty, well, thank you for listening. I hope that you enjoyed listening to podcast and our month of May of coverage of missing and murdered Indigenous women and girls cases um follow us on instagram at destination murder pod twitter at dest underscore murder and facebook at destination murder and we will be in your ear holes not next week but the week after and as they say goodbye in maori forgive my pronunciation if this is wrong but kia ora have a good arvo (laughs) good arvo oh my goodness i just love the australian way of like shortening words arvo Avo. Arvo means afternoon. And makas means McDonald's, which is a nicer way to say McDonald's than how we say it in Canada. McDicks. Exactly. Or Don's. Don's is acceptable, but it's not yeah. as nice sounding as Macca. Okay. Uh, Bye. Arrivederci. <laughs> <laughs> what language is that? I think it's Italian. That's now Tegan language.